another episode. Uh, I'm Ed. I'm Ryan. And today we are going to be reviewing our second game, a game that we both had on our top 10 once again, and a game that we love for so many reasons. And that game is Everdell. I'm so excited about this episode. I know, I know. I mean, this almost came first, but uh, we decided to go with Wayfarers first because it took your number one spot. And because we wanted to discuss that game in the lead up to the Scholars of the South Tigris Kickstarter um, project launch. Yeah. 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 But Everdell is getting its due. It is. And specifically today, we are going to have a pretty complete conversation, so to speak. A, a complete conversation for the complete collection. Exactly. And so that means that we're going to be covering the base game along with all five of the big expansions and the little mini expansions that also come in the complete collection box. So before we do that, though, I just want to check in, Ryan. How, how's life? How are things going? Do you have any gaming updates from the past week or so? Oh, oh yeah. I, uh, I have, like many people, I saw the news of the online rankings changing of the guards so to speak with uh with brass birmingham taking the spot on board game geek for top game and so i uh had to put in an order for that one and uh maybe we'll do a future episode on that yeah i was i was looking at getting it too maybe um i mean it's another euro game so that's a win yeah um, and it's a different kind of theme but the only thing that has me a little bit uh, intimidated is that 3.9 out of 5 complexity on board game. <laughs> but yeah. I have faith. So if I, if I see it around, I might pick it up too. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll definitely yeah. have to uh, check it out. Yeah, I mean, I haven't placed any orders or anything recently. Um, mostly what I've done is just upgrade a couple of things. Yeah. So I actually got the... Um, Tomb of Wonders for Ankh, Gods of Egypt, which was a Kickstarter exclusive, so I bought that secondhand. Nice. And I actually got a custom insert for Lost Ruins of Arnak, because anybody who knows that game knows that the components are just kind of thrown around in the box. Yeah, little tender loving care for those those game components. Yes, I don't want to upset the Guardians too much. (laughs) Um, And then the final thing, bringing us back to our main topic today was the one thing that um, Starling Games sells that doesn't come with the Everdell Complete Collection are the sleeves and the little component um, vessels that hold all all your resources. So I decided to get those, and they sent those to me and included a nice little uh, Everdell-themed bookmark. So I have that now. So I guess I completed the Complete Collection, so to speak. Yeah, no, that sounds great, and that bookmark will come in handy because we got a we got a thick rule book oh, with it's, this game. It's literally a, <laughs> a rule book. They call it the Gilded Book, and it is a bound paperback book, uh, clocking in at eighty six pages. So, our our task for today is to try to distill those eighty six pages for you. And I promise it's not as scary as it sounds. There's some really nice. Uh, artwork included in those 86 pages oh, yeah. um, taking up a lot of space and we'll talk about artwork again but first let's officially get into everdell the complete collection designed by james a wilson 
with incredible artwork by Andrew Bosley. And this game is published by Starling Games. And in Everdell, one to six players will be working to construct a new city full of amazing buildings and creatures set in the kingdom of Everdell. So if you ever read books like Redwall, this artwork and this theme will look very familiar to you in that these animals um, live in buildings, they work jobs, they wear clothes, they have cute facial expressions, and they love gathering resources and building up their kingdom. So we are going to be, you know, gathering stone from the quarry and berries from the berry bushes and wood from the little like beaver creek in the river and resin from, I don't know where you get resin from, but we're going to get that too. Mm. And there's a meadow and it's a forest and there's a giant ever tree that we will discuss, but it has a very um, memorable table presence, so to speak. So that's a little introduction to the theme, and I'm sure we will discuss it in more depth and how it integrates with the gameplay. But first, Ryan, maybe you could give us a sense of what that gameplay looks like. Yeah, let's do it. So basically, you've got this four-round game, four seasons, set in this idyllic forest community. And you have a tableau builder game going on, very similar to Wingspan. You have 15 slots in your city. And in those 15 spots in the base game, you can play a combination of building cards and critter cards. And the buildings are the dwellings and other, you know, buildings in the community that the critter... Homes, places of employment, all of it. Everything you'd have in a, in a human city is the right. same. Exactly. And then you've got these critters that live in the town, everything from a lumbering badger down to a tiny little cockroach undertaker. Yeah, it's a little gross, but, (laughs) you know, everyone has their place, right? Yeah, exactly. And so you've got these, this tableau building mechanism, and what's powering this is the game's resource management system. You basically have four natural resources three of which are used to build buildings and one of which is used to feed the critters. For the buildings, you have wood, you have resin, and you have stone in the base game. Uh, A couple expansions include a few others. And then you have berries for the critters. And that really ties back into the theme very well in that, um, you know, the buildings are using actual resources that would be used to build a structure and then the berries are actual food that a lot of these animals will eat absolutely Um, and even within the buildings like the ones that visibly look like they would need stone have stone whereas some wood is more of an emphasis it it really it really clicks very well it does there's another way to get critters in your city so why don't you tell us about that yeah absolutely and like many resource management games this is all about turn maximization being efficient one of the central mechanisms for doing that in this game is every virtually every building type pairs with a single creature card. And once you've played the building, you are able to play one of its corresponding creature cards for free without paying the berry cost. So this is a way to cut some corners, save yourself having to gather a couple berries, 
allows you to maximize gathering of other resources to build some of the higher cost structures as well. Right. And a really cool example of that that um, we have on the table in front of us right now is um, this is one of our, I think both of our favorite combinations is one of the buildings, and this is a governance building, which makes sense. It is the courthouse, which costs a wood, a resin, and two stone. And if you build a courthouse in your city, there is a card that is a judge. Little he, turtle judge. He's an he's a old, <laughs> grumpy-looking turtle with glasses sitting on a dais with a gavel and a little uh, judge's outfit. And you can play him for free in your courthouse, which is really cool. So that's, that's really how this works in practice. Yes. So there's a lot of card pairing going on. Now... Ed, there's also a set collection mechanism to this game, right? So of the structures and the critter cards, we basically have five different types. And they help you build up the capabilities and scoring potential of your city in different ways. And we'll get to the scoring in a bit. Exactly. So just to give a quick overview of these card types, you have green production cards and these allow you to gather additional resources that you'll be able to use to build additional cards. You also have brown traveler cards that allow you to basically... Um, They're a one-time, like a when-played one-time benefit. A one-time benefit, exactly. And then you have red destination cards. And these ones basically give you additional worker placement options where you're able to place your worker on this spot and get a benefit when you do so. Something that's really cool about that as well is actually some of them um, allow other people's workers to visit, which is a cool little theme. There's these little open signs. Um, So for example, in the post office, let's say that you built a post office in your city. That's an open building. So I can go to your post office and get the benefit from it but because I'm going to your city to do it, if I do that, you get a point. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of even evens out a little bit there and gives you some incentive to extra incentive to play those cards. Um, so we've talked about the first three. You also have, as Ed mentioned earlier, blue governance cards like the tortoise and the courthouse. And often these will give He's a you a judge. Thank you very much. Oh, what did I say? The tortoise. Oh. I mean, he is a tortoise. But... <laughs> He yeah. went to law school for a reason. He did. He did. <laughs> the The terminology matters. Yes. <laughs> um, so for the blue governance cards, a lot of them are giving you some kind of a discount, allowing you to play cards more efficiently over the course of the game. I would say those are one of the biggest engine building components yes, of this they're game. Like, they're an ongoing ability. Yeah. So you want to play those along with the production cards, ideally as early as you can. And then the last one, the purple prosperity cards, these are probably the ones you can save towards closer to the end of the game, and they are basically going to give you bonus scoring based on what other cards you've played in your city. Yes. So speaking of scoring, yeah, I think it would be very helpful to get into how the game of Everdell is scored, because this has a point salad kind of system where your final score is going to be tallied up from um, a few different um, criteria. Yeah, could you give us a rundown? Yes. So because everything in this box is so thematic, 
This is Tarry Hare's scorepad. So the first main category for scoring is the point value on your cards. So as Ryan mentioned, you're going to have a tableau of cards, critters, and constructions in your city, and each of these will have an outright point value on it, usually between 0 to 3, but there are some that go higher, and there are even a couple that are negatives that you can put in other people's cities if you're mean. Playing spoiler a little bit. (laughs) Yes, like the fool, for example, is one of those. And he's a skunk, because of course he is. (laughs) Um, Then the prosperity cards, the purple ones that Ryan mentioned, are going to have extra endgame scoring bonuses on them, usually for completing some kind of objective or set. So pairing certain cards together, having um, additional of multiple cards. So, for example, if you have the Evertree in your city, you will get the points that the Evertree is worth, plus one extra point for each prosperity card in your city. So it can really help you out. Then there are events that are on the board. So there's basic events that are these cardboard tokens, and they're special events. The basic events in the base game are all worth three points, and basically are worker placement spots that you can go to and claim on a first-come, first-served basis you can claim for having three of a certain type of card in your city. So if you have three of the green production cards in your city, you can go to the basic event that is paired with that type. And there's one for each except for prosperity. So basically for these, you've got prerequisite. You have to meet a requirement to be able to go there. First person to go there gets it. Exactly. And the special events work the same way, except these are cards that you pull out of a deck at the beginning of the game so you can have different ones each time you play Everdell, which adds to the replay value, and the expansions will give you additional ones. Nice. So, for example, I'm looking at one. This one is called the Royal Wedding, and this one will give you six points if you put a worker on it. But in order to claim it, you need to have four Prosperity cards in your city and discard three cards from your hand. So they all kind of function that way. Then, in the base game, you can also get points for Journeying, So as Ryan mentioned, this game is played in four seasons. So you start in winter and you end in the autumn. In the autumn, um, the final season, you can go to a spot on the board that is for journeying. And this is where you can go to basically throw away cards from your hand to get points. So these are probably cards that you're not going to use as the game is drawing to a close. So if you have five left that you want to get rid of, you can go to the five-point spot the four-point spot, the three-point spot, as long as no one else has taken that spot already. And then worst case, there is a two-point spot where you throw away two cards, get two points, and as many people um, as want can go there if they want to, um, as long as you have the cards to throw out. And then the final um, way to score points is from point tokens, which you will just get in the form of coins. So, like, as we mentioned with the post office, which was one of the open buildings, if Ryan has a post office and I visit his post office, he's going to get a point. And that will just be in the form of a point token. Um, And one thing I really like about the complete collection that we have is that it came with really nice um, golden metal coins that look really cool. And they they just feel great. They make you feel like you're doing a good job. Oh, yeah. These cool little golden coins in this age of inflation, it's nice to have some cold, hard gold (laughs) currency. Indeed. So that's the basics of scoring a base game of Everdell. There are other um, scoring mechanisms that come into play with 
the expansions and we will get into those once we give you an overview of the expansions. So Ryan, why don't you start us off by talking about two of the big expansions to Everdell? Oh yeah, let's do it. And honestly, this is one of the biggest sells of the game. I think Ed and I both mentioned in the review episode of our top 10 rankings that you know the base game's good but it's really the expansions where you get the replay value really elevated with this game for so many reasons i mean as we mentioned one of them is just the options in the deck that you don't cycle through as often so it's a little bit more fresh but as we'll talk about there's some real modular variety that comes in with these expansions. Oh, yeah. Some of the stuff will really blow your mind. So to get into the first one, you have the Belfair expansion. And I think the basic idea here is that you're having this festival on the 100-year anniversary of Everdell. And it adds a few components to the gameplay, a few more special events to get points. One of the big things it adds is a marketplace which gives you another option of spots to go to to collect resources. And one of the reasons this is so huge is that some of the resource collecting spots in the game, as in, you know, a lot of worker placement games, are only designed to have one or two critters on them, depending on player count. Which means if a spot's blocked and you're not taking your workers back until the end of a season... You need some backup contingencies for other spots to go. And so I think this was an element. It's a little bit more forgiving for new players. And it also allows even experienced players to boost those scores a little bit by just letting you get the resources you need to uh, build the, build out the cards that you're hoping to get get into play. Yeah, one thing I really like about it is that it removes the element of frustration that can happen sometimes in a game like this. Like one thing that I don't enjoy in these types of games is when I know what I want to do and I have a strategy, but like the game itself is just locking me out of being able to do it. And you just have to wait or sacrifice big time, even though it's like really no fault of your own that someone else just like happened to play in front of you. So what I like about the marketplace is that it gives you secondary options for how to get resources or points or draw cards. It's it's really nice. It's really nice. Um, but I don't think we've gotten into yet what is probably the coolest feature of this Belfair expansion. Oh, I'm excited. Tell and, me about it. And this is the asymmetric player powers. What? Yeah, that's right. All of these different woodland creatures that you can have as your team for the game have their own little powers. I'm trying to remember some of the really fun ones. The hedgehog. The hedgehog is the one that I think gives you a berry anytime you gather resources and you didn't get a berry. Right. So you go to any spot where you're not gathering a berry from, you get a little berry thrown in just for fun. Yeah. One thing that... I mean, while we're talking about this, it's just an aesthetic thing. But each of the factions that you can choose from in this game, the workers themselves are wooden 
um, worker meeples, and they are in the shape of that animal. So if you're playing as the hedgehogs, you have hedgehogs, you know? And oh, if yeah. you're playing as, like, the butterflies, you have butterflies. And they're so... If you have the complete collection or if you even assemble all the expansions separately, there are so many of them. Like, probably two dozen-ish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, easily. And, again, this is just one other feature that really adds to the replay value of this game. Yes. Um... I mean, you'd have to play so many times to even try each one once. Oh yeah, and yeah. then and then you factor in like the the second order combinations of like which ones are combined with which ones. Oh yeah, the possibilities are are really endless in terms of the permutations, especially considering the other options you have for switching things up too. Um, so that's a pretty good overview of Belfair. And then the other expansion I wanted to get into a little bit is New Leaf. And what New Leaf does is it basically introduces you to the city of New Leaf, which I believe is the most prosperous and the most... Um, it's like the es- coolest city in the kingdom of Everdell. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they're so cool that now they want to leave it and come visit your up-and-coming city, which is very generous of them. Right. So, so you've got your kingdom has this new little train station where you'll get visitors from the city of New Leaf, and these are additional cards that basically give you even more options of card combinations and even more ways to gather resources and score points. Yeah, the visitor cards I think have really good. Um, parallel is the bonus cards in Wingspan. Yeah. It basically works the same, where if you just complete a certain objective by the end of the game, you'll get points. And these are usually, I think, between like five and eight points per card. Yeah. It'd be something like have, I don't know, five unique critters in your city. Something like that. Like, they're not that difficult. Yeah, or have like four stone left at the end of the game it's a nice option um for varying how you score points it widens the the aperture of like your options going into late one other feature that you get from this game that's kind of cool is maybe there's a card you've really got your eye on you've got a little seal that you can use to basically reserve it And you also have a ticket that you can use. It basically functions. You can use it twice per game. And it's a train ticket. And it basically lets you take two extra worker actions. So it increases the flexibility and the number of times you can move your worker around. Which, as I discussed with the marketplace in Belfair, I just really like the game giving additional options for what you can do. Yeah, and given the the number of times we've played this game is probably nearly equal to the number of times where we're saying, oh, I really wish I had one more turn this season. Yeah, so they gave you two. And one thing that's cool about it as well is that, like, you can use that ticket even if you weren't playing with everything from New Leaf. You could just, like, take that ticket and put it in some of the other expansions. Yeah, It works totally fine. Um, The other thing that I really like about New Leaf, and I discussed this in our top 10 ranking, is that I recommend... Basically, if you have New Leaf, always use it yeah. because it also just adds on like so many cards to the deck. So that feeling of like the deck getting stale very quickly is just completely gone. 
they yep. integrate perfectly into the base game so you don't have to take them out if you don't want to use the whole new leaf setup yeah and it also introduces these like golden tokens that you can use that also increases the flexibility of how you can pair critters with buildings right and i guess the other thing i would say going along with the point you just made ed is these expansions both Velfair and new leaf they don't they add more options without adding a lot more rules or like scoring categories so even you could almost add these two in with new players to make the game a little more forgiving yeah, without I, making I it more complicated. Would. Yeah. The only thing that I would be a little bit hesitant about is the um the golden occupied tokens. Yes. For a first time player, but they're really not that hard. Basically all they are is um as Ryan mentioned in the base game, each critter pairs with a specific building building. And when you do that you would just use these little brown occupied tokens to show that you use that building spot already so you can't reuse it. It's already occupied by a critter, right? Right. What New Leaf does is, in addition to that, it gives each person three golden occupied tokens and all the new cards will just give you more options. So it'll say, like, this card can be paired with any blue critter. So it just adds more flexibility. It's not a big deal, but I guess it could just be a little bit much to keep track of for some first-time players of differentiating the two right but in this discussion of expansions we've got another two expansions do you want to well talk we have three but ah yes yes do you want to talk about the next few ed i will and as you discussed those first two they pair together really well and work in even an entry level um game because they don't add a bunch of rule changes the next two I want to discuss are the opposite. Mm -hmm. And these are basically modules that you can add to Everdell. And strangely, the rulebook suggests not using them at the same time. Like, kind of pick one. And I can see why, as we'll talk about. But these expansions are Pearlbrook and Spirecrest. So in the Pearlbrook expansion... Basically, you're going to have an extension on the board that's a river. And each person, in addition to their workers, is going to get a little frog worker. And once per season, they can send their frog to the river to go diving, basically. So this expansion introduces a new resource, pearls. And these pearls are worth points on their own. They're worth one point each at the end of the game if you have any left over. But it also introduces these new river locations that you can go to with your frog that may require you to pay certain resources to get more pearls or more benefits. And the big thing it also introduces is that it takes all the basic events out of the game and replaces them with wonders that you can build in your city. Can you tell us a little bit more about these wonders, Ed? How does that work? Yes. So the wonders, there are going to be four of them. And one is worth 25 points, one is worth 20 points, one is 15, and one is 10. And they are expensive. They're going to cost you a lot of resources. Obviously, the number of resources will scale up according to how many points they're worth. But they are all going to cost you pearls. Yeah. So you have to have pearls to use them to build these wonders. And they'll cost you other resources as well. And they'll just get you a ton of points at the end of the game. 
But there is an opportunity cost. Yes, because what you may find yourself having to do is that you may have to make tough choices between using the resources you have to build buildings or critters in your city to fill out that 15-card tableau. tableau, Or you may have to say, you know what? I may only fill out 11 and not fully build out my city, but it's okay because I'm going to get 25 points from a wonder. And in a game where, you know, even with Pearlbrook, you're probably, I'm looking at a two-player game of Pearlbrook that you and I played where we had scores that were 72 and 63. If you get one of those wonders, that's a big chunk of the points you're going to get at the end of the game. Yeah. So that's a big thing to, to think about. Um, the final thing that Pearlbrook adds that I think is really cool is that they call them adornments. And they're these little um, cards that each person gets that will basically give you another way to score points at the end of the game. So it'll just be like a little objective card that you can complete. It's not a big deal, but it exists. And those, I think you have to pay a pearl in order to activate, basically. Yes, yes. Um, So the pearls, you have a couple options of what you can do with them. Um, Pearlbrook, it's fun. My biggest knock against it is this, that, like, it's the only one that really feels a little bit hard to set up. And I think it makes the biggest changes to the gameplay itself. Yeah. So the deck, it'll actually come with more cards that you can put into your deck, which is really cool, which New Leaf did really well. The problem is with the Pearlbrook cards is that you have to take them out of the deck when you're done because you can't really use them if you're not playing with Pearlbrook. Right, because you don't want to just have a random card in there that's talking about pearls. When you're not playing with pearls. Exactly. Or you know, so it's fun, but... It's just it adds to the setup and takedown time of the game. Mm-hmm. And just it really changes the game the most, I think, of all the expansions. Right. Because it, it's giving you another big thing that you're going to be spending turns doing. Exactly. And that leads to the next expansion, which, in my personal opinion, does this a little bit better. And mm-hmm. this is the Spirecrest expansion. And so in Spirecrest, you're not going to have those frogs. Instead, each person is going to have a traveling rabbit and the rabbit is going to function at the end of each season. So basically, the, the theme of Spirecrest is that there is a big mountain that is going to be a board on the south side of your board. You're going to add it on. And basically, over the course of the game, the rabbit is going to be journeying over the mountain. So it's going to start at the bottom, make it to the peak, and then back down again. And so at the end of each... well technically actually at the beginning of each season we're going to reveal like a weather card and that weather card is going to change some of the conditions in the climate for that season and ed are these weather cards ever good no they are a miserable experience so it's always bad it's like natural disasters hitting the entire kingdom so there there may be one that says you know what for this entire season Every critter is going to cost an additional berry. Or every time you go to get wood, you get one fewer wood. It just makes things more expensive and more inconvenient. So it's a, it's a challenge. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But it, it makes you makes work things, for it. Yes. It, it can be frustrating. Um, you will never appreciate that um, train ticket token from New Leaf that gives you extra turns more than if you're playing with this. 
Yeah, no yeah, doubt. Because you will you will need it to really feel like you're getting the most out of it. So you've got this mechanism built in that's making the game harder. Yes. Is there anything in this expansion that balances that out? Yes. So at the end of each season, your rabbit is going to move down the trail as it's going over the mountain to the next pit stop, basically. And what you're going to do then is each season has a deck. And the top three cards of that deck will be revealed. And you get to choose one of those three cards to keep. One will be free. One will cost one resource. One will cost two. And you get to choose whichever one of the three you want, as long as you can afford them. And you can keep it. Some of these cards will give you endgame scoring benefits. Some of them will give you new worker placement spots that are only for you, and they're very powerful. And some of them, most importantly, will give you a mount. And these mounts are giant animal tokens that you can attach your worker to, and it basically replaces one of your workers. So there's a grizzly, there's a yak, um, there's an ostrich, there's a moose, there's so many of them, and they're huge. There's and, a peacock, too, isn't yes. there? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're awesome. Um, and each of them, if you draw it, the card will tell you what it does. And they each do different things. So you can use your worker as you normally would while it's attached to this mount. But each of them will also have an extra benefit. So it may give you an opportunity to move your worker an extra time. Or it may give you additional resources when you use it. Or help you draw more cards. Or like get point tokens. They're all really powerful and it's just really satisfying to have them and use them um so that's basically how spirecrest works except for one last thing which is as you're journeying across the mountain at the end of each season while you're picking up one of those cards you also get to pick up a tile that you will put in a little um track along your city and this is like your your journey expedition um map and so at the end of the game, at the very end of the game, you can move your rabbit along this track and each one will have a resource cost. And you have to go from the left all the way to the right and go along that, uh, along that track as far as you can until you cannot pay the cost. And each time you do it, you'll get points. So each one will be worth usually I think between like two and six points. Right. So what this does is in the same way that Pearlbrook had the wonders for extra points – and New Leaf has the visitor cards for endgame scoring. This introduces the expedition, where if you have leftover resources at the end of the game, you can cash them in for points. Right. And like the Wonders, you may at times have to make tough choices between, you know, do I want to build that final building in my city? Or do I want to save those three wood and that one stone so that I can move further along my expedition? Right, so you're it's getting really cool. you're getting pulled in multiple directions at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, and so that's why I just I really love what each of these expansions bring to this game, and they're all very different. And the final one that I just want to briefly discuss is the Mistwood expansion, and this is really ramping up the base game for people who love solo play. So in the solo version of this game, for the base game of Everdell you play it against a bot that was an evil rat named Rugwart. In Mistwood, there's a new solo mode where you are playing against this giant spider called Nightweave. Mm. And what is cool about this is that 
it is a new solo mode. It's way more sophisticated than Rugwort was. So I guess in the same way that all the other expansions beef up the base game, this does that too. And what's cool about it as well is that you can actually also integrate Nightweave into a two-player game oh. where it kind of creates a cooperative element of the game. Is it basically or, you're going, two of you are going up against Nightweave? I mean, not I guess not really exactly cooperative. It's more like if you're playing a two-player game and you wanted to add a level of dynamism to it, where it feels like a three-player game, it's basically like adding in a third-player AI uh -huh. that you can use. Yeah. So that is really what the Mistwood expansion is. Um, the other big thing that came with it was um, replacements for the farms. Mm -hmm. So in the base game, all the farms are the same. This one replaces the farms so they're all a little bit different and have nice seasonal artwork on them and just adds in different options for the harvester and gatherer card yeah. so that's basically mistwood um nice little customizable easter egg yeah there. i mean i have it because it came in the complete collection but if you're not a solo player you could probably skip it um the only other thing i'll say about expansions is that there are a couple mini expansions to consider as well that come with the complete collection they're the rugwort cards that there's only four of them i think or three and they just kind of add a little bit of take that meanness to the deck. But you can choose not to use them if that's not your thing. There's the Corrin Evertail cards that are all based off of the legendary hero Corrin Evertail, who is like the founding um, mouse of, of Everdell. The Martin the Warrior of Everdell. Yes, the George Washington or something. <laughs> um, and then there are the legendary cards that I haven't played with yet because I'm kind of saving them to add yeah. more variety when when I get through all of this and feel like I want to freshen it up a bit. But yeah. these legendary cards basically replace some of the cards in the base game and kind of upgrade them. Right. So for example, the way I, it works to the best of my knowledge is that like you could play a queen in your city, but then if you have the legendary queen who will be like a named character, you can have her in your hand. She doesn't count toward your hand limit and she doesn't count toward your city limit when you play her. But you can basically discard your queen and put her in her place, and she's an even more powerful queen. Yeah. And they're like they're all unique, so no one can have the same one as you. Yeah. Um, so that's it for the expansion content. Ryan, do you have any tips for first-time players to Everdell? Or are there any common mistakes that you've made or you've seen other people make that you would caution people about? Yeah, I would say... There, there's one pitfall I think is pretty common, especially people that are just getting used to games like this. You see this in a game like Wingspan, maybe any Tableau builder that has an engine building component. And that is just the problem of sequencing. You do need to get a sense of like which card types work well in which stages of the game. Because a card that like one of the green production cards that's giving you additional resources or one of the governance cards that's cutting the cost of future cards you play are so much more effective earlier in the game if you can manage to get those cards and play them then they're going to be later in the game yeah. especially because when you look at the production cards they're not worth that many points on their own so it they don't 
necessarily work that well later in the game. Right. So I think we have a couple of cards in front of us right now, and I think what you're trying to say is, so we have a resin refinery in front of us, right? This is a green production card. And anytime it activates, which will be when it's played, at the end of um, at the beginning of spring and at the beginning of autumn, That's it'll at be the activated. the beginning of seasons two and four. Yes, um, it will give you a resin, but that card is only one point at the end of the game. But then there's a prosperity card, the palace, that's worth four points at the end of the game. So your default might be, oh my god, I want to play that palace. It's amazing. But if you play that palace at the beginning of the game, it's not getting you anything until the very end. So that's not to say don't get it, but maybe if you can get it into your hand and leave it there. Or if you're playing with the um, New Leaf expansion and you have that reservation token, you can use that to reserve it for later on. Right. Well, and because not only, as you said, are you not getting things from the palace card till the end of the game, but those prosperity cards tend to come with pretty hefty price tags in terms of the resources they cost. Yeah, they're very expensive. So you have a big opportunity cost, especially from playing those cards early. Yes, I think um, that's really the big mistake I would caution people against. I think the other mistake would be not using your workers wisely and by that i'm talking pacing Mm -hmm. not so you don't want to always just like because i have two workers i must use them as quickly as possible you may want to try and take a step back and think how can i draw the season out for as long as possible because this is not a game like wingspan where everyone gets the same number of turns and so ultimately if you get more turns, odds are you're doing more, you're getting more resources, you're playing more things that will get you more points. So if you can like take a pause and before you put that worker down, unless you're confident about it, look at the cards in your hand. Look at the cards in the meadow. Can you play any of those? Do you have the resources to pay for them? Can you pair it with something that's already in your city? And Ed, you talked a little bit about extending your turns and saving those workers for only when you need them. How do you extend your turns as a first-time player without using those workers? Playing cards from your hand or from the meadow because those those can get you resources in a way your workers cannot. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, though, like especially in the early seasons... Don't be too worried if you don't get that many turns. That's how the game is designed. This is designed so that it scales up over time. So the first season is going to feel very short. And if you even get... If you get five turns out of that, that's that's a lot. Like, you're probably going to get, like, three on average. Probably place your two workers and maybe play one card, maybe two. But as you go on, it'll scale up. Yeah. So I would say just... This is not really a tip. It's more of just a way to set your mind. Don't get too nervous if you feel like, oh my gosh, one out of four seasons is done already and I only have one card in my city. What am I doing wrong? You're not doing anything wrong. It will it will all come together. Yeah. And I mean, there's a thematic element to that too, right? Because first season being spring, you're kind of... Well, first season's winter. Oh, winter, yeah. right. Excuse me. You're You're just kind of like, you have these creatures that are hibernating there's yeah, we not don't a have much left on. like we've drawn down all of our supplies we yeah. need to get it up and going again for the next winter exactly so what is your favorite thing about everdell 
my favorite thing about Everdell. I think it's a love-hate thing for me. Okay. Because I think what this game excels at is when you have the expansions in play, those last couple turns when you're torn in so many different directions and you're kind of racking your brain a little bit to say, okay, I could spend these last two stone and these last two resin on building this building and that would give me X number of points. But wait, if I save them for doing my Spirecrest expedition, that would give me a few more points. And you're just kind of doing that kind of mental calculus while also juggling which spots on the board are going to be open in those last few crucial turns. I, I agree with that, but I think my favorite thing is just being able to do so many things once your engine gets up and going. It's so satisfying. Like It's really fun to see when other people are like racing ahead of you and are like a whole season ahead of you, but you're just, you're just chilling. Like you're taking your time and you don't need to rush because you are just still getting the most out of everything. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a game where the, the axiom slow and steady wins the race. Yes. Really describes it well. Yes. And the animals, uh, also fit that theme. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We've already mentioned the tortoise and a hare in this episode, so that works. Yeah. Um, but we do have to address both sides of this equation. So we certainly what is, do. What is something that you don't love about this game? Yeah, something I don't love about this game. So, again, it's a kind of a love-hate thing. You have a very, very big deck in this game. And... I think the New Leaf expansion does something to kind of ameliorate this. But in the base game, you don't have as much flexibility in card pairings, especially between the critters and buildings. And so sometimes the game can feel a bit like a fishing expedition. You have certain cards in play, and you're basically waiting for maybe two or three cards to come up. And one of the interesting mechanisms of this game that makes it challenging but also frustrating is you have a card limit of eight i believe yes but unlike some games where you can discard cards to refresh your hand unless you specifically burn a worker going to a spot that lets you discard cards once you're at your card limit you're kind of stuck you can't draw more cards. Now, you can still play cards immediately from the meadow if you have their cost in hand, but you can't draw additional cards at that point to sit on them. And those two facets together, that limitation on card discarding and the size of the deck made the base game sometimes stagnant stagnant or get stuck in gear a little bit i think that's something that they address really well subsequently first off um some of the player powers you're right let you have a bigger hand size or give you ways to discard cards or extra things to do with cards you don't want and then new leaf um added a new spot that lets you discard cards in the in the train station which is nice and even like refresh cards that are in the meadow and the station 
Yeah, and that's nice too because, you know, sometimes that meadow, the, you know, pool of cards everyone's drawing from that are open and can be seen. Yeah, some of those cards sit there for a while. Nobody wants them and it just slows the game down. Um, but yeah, for you, Ed, what's, uh, what's something about this game that, uh, yeah, isn't quite what you were hoping for? So there is one thing in this game that we have not talked about that must be talked about when you talk about Everdell. Something that overshadows the board in a way? Literally overshadows the board. Yes, I'm talking about the Evertree. It is a huge cardboard, or if you have um, the complete collection wood, tree that stands over the board it is like probably approaching a foot tall yeah and it's a monstrosity it, it serves basically no gameplay purpose all it does is it gives you a place to put the workers that you get in later seasons that you don't have access to at the beginning it tells you what you can do between each season um because printed on the tree and it just lets you put the four um special events on it that's right. all it does no. but it casts this huge shadow over the board because it's so big yeah. and it's not so much of a big deal in a two-player game but if you're playing with four people somebody's going to be stuck at a really awkward angle around the table where the tree is blocking them from seeing the meadow and the um forest and basic locations on the board so what i really like about the belfair expansion is that Part of the theme of it being the 100th anniversary is that the Evertree is dead. It is gone. And instead, everything that the Evertree did is just printed on a two-dimensional board so that you can actually see it now. So my, my stance on the Evertree is I think that if I was playing Everdell with someone who had never played it before, I would use the Evertree because I think that everyone should like have the experience of seeing it. And it does look cool. Yeah, it's a cool gimmick, but... Once you're into the game, I don't think it's worth it. It's it's a pain to assemble yeah. and disassemble every time, and it just it takes up space on a game board that's already very big and yeah. takes up a ton of space. So I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Um, but that's really the only thing bad I have to say about Everdell. Um, for people who love this game, like us, mm-hmm. or people who are interested in it, what is another game that you think is a good match that people may also like? A few come to mind. For the tableau building element, I think wingspan. But in terms of gameplay, you've made the point that mechanically it's the most similar to another one of your favorites. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we did choose this as the game last week as well, but... I'm going to go with that anyway. It's Lost Ruins of Arnak. And very much for a different reason than why we brought it up for Wayfarers of the South Tigris. For Wayfarers of the South Tigris, we thought it was a good parallel in terms of the research track. For Everdell, it's a good parallel because of having only a couple workers played and being able to use each one only once over a limited number of rounds. In Arnak, it's five. In Everdell, it's four. But it works very much the same way in that that first round or the first two rounds are going to be very quick and things will eventually unlock and scale as you build your engine and can do a lot more. So if you are interested in the main mechanics of Everdell, you may want to check out that game. Or if you like that game, you may like Everdell. Yeah. And 
yeah, I think that's that's a great comparison. Similar things apply to Dune Imperium. I would say I think Everdell is probably a bit simpler than either of those games. So definitely base games. So maybe better to go from Everdell to one of those. Yes, but if you have already played those, don't feel like this is a step down because. There's a lot going on. I, I, at first, I was considering which one I wanted to buy between Lost Ruins of Arnak and Everdell. And I did end up getting Arnak first, but I did eventually get Everdell. And I have both now, and I absolutely do not feel like they are redundant on my shelf. Definitely. Like, definitely not. Like, I'm very, very happy I have both. Um, so, final rating for Everdell. On yeah. a scale of 1 to 10, I'll let you do a point five if you if you want. What do you think? Yeah, Everdell gets an 8.5 from me. And there's a couple reasons here. The tableau building element, I definitely see parallels to Wingspan. I think what gives this game an edge over Wingspan for me is you've got greater variety in the resources in the sense that not all the resources are equally valuable for instance you go to the stone spot you get one stone you go to the wood spot you get three wood structures tend to cost more wood on average than stone and so you have like resources that aren't equally weighted whereas in a game like wingspan the food is kind of interchangeable in terms of how difficult it is to get. And the other thing I would say is I think there's similarly more ways to bolster your efficiency, turn efficiency artfully in this game with cards like the courthouse and the judge compared to wingspan i think it just it gives you more tools in your toolkit to try to maximize your turns as you're trying to convert resources into points i'm gonna go with a nine Mm -hmm. so i'm giving it the same score that i gave wayfarers of the south tigress last week but for different reasons um the way i'm thinking about it is that i'm not gonna give a game more points for being more complex outright. Yeah, I want to try and sure. judge the game based on what the game is trying to do. Yeah. And I think that this game does an excellent job at being what it is. It is a perfect medium weight worker placement, resource management, tableau building game. Um, this game has my favorite artwork of any game. The graphic design is incredible. Like it is very clear what everything is the quality of the components is amazing the satisfaction of building your engine and getting all your resources is fantastic the expansions add tremendous replay value and variety to the experience um on the downside if i was ranking base game everdell i would drop this down to an eight because it would lack a lot of that replay value. The deck would run, you know, run out pretty often maybe, or, or just feel repetitive. 
and there wouldn't be the asymmetric player powers and all the different scoring mechanics of the expansions. Um, but other than that, I, I love this game. And it is one that I just, I just feel fits in to almost any gaming group. I think we both strongly recommend it. Definitely. Yep. So that's it for this week's episode of the Global Gamers Podcast. Uh, please remember to review or rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you will know when the next episode drops. It yeah. also really helps us, you know, get boosted in the algorithm. So we really appreciate that. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on Everdell. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on Wayfair's other games we've reviewed and ideas for games you'd love to hear us review. Absolutely. So with that, Ryan, we'll see you at the gaming table. 